This episode is sponsored by Better Help. What is the first thing that you would do if you had an extra hour in your life? Oh, the first thing I just thought was, oh, I'm going to need more than an hour to fit that stuff in. But I, the fact is, a lot of us spend our lives wishing that we had more time. I know that is for me. That's a big thing, uh, especially as you get older. <laughs> um, and the question, you know, time for what? What would you do? Would it actually make you feel better? What is it that you feel you're missing? In order, you know, that that would make it better. Um, and and one of the ways to sort of help figure out that out is, is therapy. It can help you find out what matters most to you so you can do more of it or focus on what it is that you're spending your time on that, that maybe isn't giving you that that sort of fulfilling experience. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of times people talk about therapy or they talk about mental health or it's about uh, trauma or it is about, you know, like like a, a great amount of pain or anything. And those things are all very valid and everything. But also, you know, in some ways there's stumbling blocks. Uh, there is sort of a, a, something indefinable that you're having a hard time getting to that maybe is stopping you from feeling as confident as you can, as good as you can. And, you know, therapy uh, is, is one way to go after that. If you are thinking of starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, is designed to, be, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire, you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. You may switch therapists at any time you like for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 486, brought to you by Geek Nation Tours and iFanboy listeners just like you. Welcome to iFanboy's Pick of the Week podcast. This is episode 486. I am Josh Flanagan, and I am enunciating, and this is my co-host, Connor Kilpatrick. How much drugs are you on right now? No, I'm past the point where the allergy meds make me tired. Okay. Because the first couple of days or so, they make you tired. Not anymore? The other day, I had some, I had some beers. <laughs> I had more than one beer, and I rode like a lot on my bike, and I was, I was like, I don't even know what's wrong with me right now. I just want to go to sleep. You wait, you you had the beers, and then you rode your bike. No, I had I had a beer. I was given a beer upon completion of the bike ride, uh, and then I had another beer at the place that we went to. This marks the first day that I've ever had two beers. Wow! <laughs> in a in a three to four hour window. That's fantastic. Or yep. terrifying. Yeah. Well, so that was the thing that happened. Oh, yeah, the show. Talk about comics. I anything today. You and I can talk offline about your problem and who's enabling it. <laughs> we are high fanboy. We like comic books. Uh, and every week we read our stack of comics. I just I feel like I'm a comical 38-year-old man going, I had some beer. I had some beers with my buddies. I also I, like, I, I drink coffee at home, but if I go into like a coffee shop, you I don't know out. how it works. Intimidating. It's too much. There's too much stuff there, and, and like I feel like everybody's got the language down, and I have to be like, "What's the one uh, with the sweet, with the sugar?" Yeah, put the yeah that. And everybody's dressed really cool, and you're like, "I don't know what's happening." 
I don't have that problem. <laughs> it's not, it's not, you know, there's some things I feel confident about. Every week we read a bunch of comics. One of us picks the best one. They call that their pick of the week. And then we talk about that book, the other books. We'll talk about some other stuff. <laughs> get some things out from our, our souls, basically. <laughs> as personal you, stuff to get, get off my chest. Personal stuff. And let's on. Let's be, it's better when we do that. <laughs> and then maybe listener mail or whatever. It's a good old time uh, down at the old house. I don't know. Uh, here's your spoiler warning. It's a review show. Do the math. Connor, you had the pick of the week. Pick of the week was The Fade Out number six from Image Comics. Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, Betty Brightweiser is the creative team. And the last issue wasn't, but issue four was, although issue five could have very easily been. I think this is making a strong push for best comic being published right now, uh, at least for me. And it really does fill that criminal hole in my heart. I, I really have enjoyed Brubaker's other books he's been doing recently. Of course, we love Velvet as well. But uh, there's something that's wonderful about the fade out. I think it's the time period. It's the characters. These are all things I'm interested in. There's a murder mystery. There's the House Un-American Committee because this is the, the post-war era. They got cameos from Dashiell Hammett and Humphrey Bogart. At the very least, there's probably a couple more I missed. And uh, I just love everything about this uh, 50s Hollywood murder mystery. Are you enjoying this, Josh? I am. This was like the, the one that... I thought this issue, when I finished it, I was like, that's, that's a pick of the week. <laughs> I think it was the first or second. I, like, we've talked about this where, where you, know, you read books, you won't really know what it is. And I thought, okay, if I don't read anything better, that's a pick of the week. Easy. Right. I think this is my favorite issue of it. I liked a lot of the stuff that happened. I liked the book a lot, but I've been just on the other side of like saying, I love this book. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things like I add up all of the things about the book and I go, oh, that, that sounds like a winner. But I'm not in love, I suppose. I like how on the cast of characters page, the main character, Charlie Parrish, who is, I think, model of Sean Phillips, right? That's, a, that's he normally... I think so. He, yeah, he yeah. looks just like Bruce Timm in that cast photo. He's one of those people who I've actually, like, he's one of the few people in comics I've never met or seen him. So I don't have a concept of him very much. Right. I remember at one point, I was trying to set up an interview with him, and I was like, does anyone ever talk to, is he, is he okay? Is he? I guess he's completely normal. He just, he never comes to the shows in the States that I've been to, but... Uh, that's what he looks like, apparently. So the main story that we've been following along has been the uh, story of a dead starlet and the investigation, sort of the investigation, more like the stumbling, manic worries of a screenwriter named Charlie Parrish who was writing the movie she was in and she died and he was somehow involved, but he bl- blacked out that night, woke up and she was dead. And he's been uh, trying to figure out what happened that night, sort of uh, innocuously as he also continues on with the, with the film with the new actress, Maya Silver, who... He ends up sleeping with this, in this issue uh, after, after a premiere party. And uh, he also has his, his blacklisted screenwriter, Buddy Gill, who seems to do most of the real writing uh, secretly, well, and then that Charlie passes off as his own. And there's, I just, uh, there's lots of different elements here. And this one really got into the whole um, blacklisted part where Dashiell Hammett, who in real life uh, actually did form an organization to help blacklisted writers. So here, Gill goes to one of those meetings. And I, I, I like that conversation a lot where... Gil's going to do something. He's a drunk and he's a loose cannon and he's, he's shown propensity to make bad decisions and it seems like he's, get, he's getting himself ready to do something else stupid very soon. But he went to, <laughs> first he went to Dashiell Hammett to get some advice and drink some water. That was great. Yeah. And I'm not like a big Dashiell Hammett guy like that I know much about him. I know that he's a crime writer that people I really admire admire. 
mm-hmm. and he has a great name, and there's a little side street in San Francisco that is his name, his name also. Well, he wrote The Thin so. Man, he wrote uh, Maltese Falcon, and like... Oh, I wrote a paper on the Maltese Falcon yeah, he's in college. Yeah, like, he's uh, like got a, a B plus. grandfather of crime writing, you know. Um, but, I mean, this is just another, another great chapter in this mystery, and it's only six issues in. If you like crime stories, and if you like Hollywood, and if you like... Even just great character work. I think the, it's not so much a traditional crime story. It's not like a PI looking to investigate a case. It's just this guy sort of stumbling through his life trying to figure out what the hell happened that night. Yeah, and it, it like takes place in the middle of the, the, the HUAC stuff, which I find very interesting. I really like the, the real people coming in and out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the, was it, was it Clark Gable in Clark the last Gable's issue? Clark Gable earlier, yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I really enjoy that. Like, it's, it's that sort of overlay of, you know, a lot of these could be real people, but it, it sort of exists in our world, but it sort of doesn't. Well, now what's interesting is we're getting into the R gang territory. So mm-hmm. uh, the actress who died, she was a child star. Is that what I, I guess is happening? I guess. Something she like lived that. with Flapjack, mm-hmm. and they lived on the ranch that the studio had owned, which is, she tells you right, right away, we're going to get into some bad territory. Yeah, yeah. I, and I really like the essay. I actually read the essay at the end of this one. Mm-hmm. About the uh, the black actors from our gang, the little rascals, super interesting stuff. This is just a really interesting book, as well as being really compelling. And and it's again, we've talked a lot about Brubaker lately with Velvet and and this book and and uh, Incognito before that. He's just sort of, he's in a groove. Mm-hmm. He totally he's is in a real real groove. And it really was one of those things. Like I'm a, I'm in agreement. This was the best thing I read this week. Like easily, it was just yeah. You know, not, 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 not that other books are bad. I was just like, oh, that was a that was a great issue. Right. I was uh, pushing you over that, you know, like a story's got a bunch of hills and crests, and you're like, we just got over that one, and you can see the next vista, and you're like, oh, sweet, that's, that's, really, that's really well done. And this is a great showcase for Sean Phillips. I like the, the um, hairstyles, especially on, is it Dottie, the uh, PR girl? I love her. Uh, Dottie Quinn, and she has that, like, great, you know, tied-up hair <laughs> on the sides, and uh, everyone looks very period. No one looks like a modern person in an old setting, and everyone looks, like, properly... Uh, from the time period and the settings and everyone's constantly drinking whiskey and it's constantly a little dark and shadowy. There's a great page or panel where uh, Gil's lighting a cigarette at the bar and it gets very shadowy for a second. I really enjoyed his conversation uh, with Hammett mm-hmm. in the way that it was framed and that he was talking to him as if it was a story, but it wasn't. Right. And so like I got the, a murder like, story I'm looking to write. Yeah, but it was it was clearly But Hammett sees right through that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you'd, you'd hope so. Like, I love well, how he had answers for it. Well, here's what you would do. <laughs> uh, assuming this is a story. Well, he was a rough guy, too. He was a Pinkerton. I mean, those yeah. guys didn't fight. I love that. That was Yeah, I forgot about that. He was a pink. He looks like, uh, he doesn't not look like Roger Sterling. <laughs> yes, yeah. That's what he looked like. Yeah. It's good. I love everything about this. I'm a, I love true, so, and this is not true crime, but it's set in a true world, sort of, and mm-hmm. I love that, and, and uh I just love the fade out. Number six. It does. Someone commented on our Facebook page that it, there's so much going on in this book and it's so dense. It feels like there's more, more than six issues. And it really does. It really feels like there's been like 12. So you really get your bang for your buck in this comic. Yeah. It, I think we did this last time, but like they feel a little longer than regular issues. Mm-hmm. Well, it's thick. I don't know. I haven't counted the pages. Yeah. I did last time, but it was ultimately fruitless. So I'm, not, I'm not going to waste our time with that. Another <laughs> thick image book that came out this week was which is number six. And this will be entry number one in our favorite game. Is this the last issue? I didn't want to ask because <laughs> I have a problem with it. But I, I It's our hope, favorite game, Josh. I hope it's not. <laughs> well, the story's over. Yeah. 
this particular story is over. Now, there could obviously be another witch's story involving different mm-hmm. characters. I admit, throughout this arc of six issues of the story, the mythology of the witches in the world sort of lost me, but this issue in particular I thought was really good because everything comes to a head. I liked the characters, and even though I wasn't quite sure of the rules of the witches and what they exactly wanted, I did like that the human stuff made a lot of sense, and obviously when, when the mother reveals herself as being behind everything and stands up out of her chair, that was a gasping moment. And then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm not a parent, so to me, her argument made like 2% sense. I am a parent, and her argument made no sense. <laughs> I, was, I will say that, like, that was a hard thing for me. The dad's position, mm-hmm. which was more like, how, how could you possibly do that? Right. That seems completely true. I actually have a little... I have. She grew up in it, so that would color her, but I have a really hard time believing that moms would be down for that. Hey, moms con- are... You know, I know. Kid or kids, not all the time. I know. But it happens. I, I'm just. I'm saying, like, my instinct is that that's really strange, and I know that what you're saying is true. And I realize that she grew up basically in an abusive situation with the witches and the whole thing, but it's it's weird, and and she's a nurse, and it's like a whole. So it it threw me for a loop a little bit, but at the same time, like my favorite part about this is the connection to parenting and and the sort of helplessness mm-hmm. of trying to be protective and be a good parent and everything and, and you know the, the father I mean obviously that's where the author is coming from you know, and he talks about it in the essays in the back and, and he, he is really thinking about this stuff and, and uh, it's almost like the, the, true, the true stories of the essays at the back are kind of my favorite part of it mm-hmm. because they're so uh, relatable and so real to me Scott's kids are a little older than mine but you know he's got two boys just like me and, and to see, hear, sort of hear him talk about some of that stuff and the idea that you want to be perfect but you know you're not and how that's difficult and I think that's what the story uh, represents really well, but I, I like the context of, of those things to tell me sort of where he's going with it. Mm-hmm. I will say that over time, as I've been going through this, I have decided that I don't really like the coloring. The sort of watercolor splotches? Yeah. I mean, it was kind of neat at first, but ultimately I don't know why it's, it's there. Mm-hmm. I will say at the same time, because what I'm doing now is saying I don't really like what the colorist did, uh, I will say the chit-chit sound... <laughs> it scares the hell out of me. Well, I do this, not like that sound. Well, you, you live very close to the woods. I live, this is, this is in Litchfield, I think, which is like the town over. The idea of people emerging from trees and then being sucked into trees and coming at it, like, that's all really quite terrifying. I assume this is just a, a big metaphor for Lyme disease. So this will be a handy dandy little collection if you like horror your parent and these kind of these kind of things interest you although as a parent i imagine this was a quite disturbing issue this was a good this was a good little mini or mini or whatever it was i i yeah are we gonna put our stake in the ground and say this is the last I've, issue I've, I've learned i'm not i don't know i'm i didn't do the research be a man josh nope not on this one <laughs> okay it's just become too expected i can't i can't have it all right i won't have it well, let's talk. Let's enter our Marvel uh, Secret Wars corner and talk about a couple of books. Ultimate End, number one. This was the uh, first part of the, I guess, miniseries that's going to end the Ultimate Universe. So, I guess my question is this. Mm-hmm. Did I miss something? Because I don't feel like I missed something, but I feel like I missed something. No, but I get your feeling, and this, I think, should come out of... Okay, let's back I specifically up. read, like... Battle World 1, I read Secret Wars 2. That was last week. And I was like, wait, what happened? I thought this the last feels I saw like it takes place attacking. before 
before Secret Wars. Before okay. the, doesn't it? I mean, it feels no, like... no, but they're already mixed. They're so mixed. Like, oh, I, no, I don't no, no, know no, which this spider. Is, this is in Battle World. This is this is the Manhattan territory. Right. I don't know which Spider-Man is this. Peter Parker. From which one? From the uh, Marvel Universe, and I'll tell you how you can tell. I, I mean, I, that's what I settled on. Let me but well, let me explain it, know. and I didn't realize until halfway through. Okay. The Marvel okay. Universe characters, their word balloons are all block text. And the ultimate characters, their word balloons are mixed case text. Because that's how they were lettered. The ultimate books were lettered in mixed case. Yeah, yeah I remember that. This so that's how you tell. Chris Eliopoulos? This issue? Nope, nope. Corey, Corey Pettit. One of his guys. But. Yeah. So that's how you can tell. I, and I didn't realize it. I had the same problem as you. I didn't know who the Spider-Man was. I got really confused with with uh, the Iron Man and it was the Iron Man conversation that I was like oh wait a minute here's why that doesn't work Mm -hmm. lettering is supposed to be innocuous you're not supposed to notice it so using it as an indicator of a thing like that and it it, maybe that isn't the like maybe that's a way that you can tell right but having it be the bellwether but regardless none none of that's the problem that makes sense that's perfectly fine but i i really was like i felt like i was reading something out of order and i and i I, I couldn't tell what i'd missed i agree with you and i don't know how this i mean i don't know how these characters fit i thought they were in other realms Mm -hmm. but now these ones seem to all know about the old world yeah yeah like the, la- like, the last I saw this Hulk was in that Hulk issue that we read last week. And I was like, well, what's he doing there? He's the 616 Hulk. And then, like, the two Tonys look exactly the same, which well, I... They, may, they should. No, but that wasn't always the case. I mean, there's a Jessica Drew, and they're completely different people in the two worlds. And, and those two Tonys were sort of different characters. They should have the same appearance, though. That's fine. But, like, they had exactly the same, like, hair and beard and, and like... I just felt to me like it didn't make sense in the context. Like, I felt like... <laughs> We had established in Secret Wars that these these places had emerged and, and out of it came, came Battleworld and they were now living in the Game of Thrones type territory world and they all had their own fiefdoms and realms and these people all feel like they weren't involved in that merge. Yeah. And I'm confused. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, I was, I you know, and they all, like I could tell you that Bendis wrote it because they all sounded like him. This was a rough week for Secret Wars. I'll just start with that. Well, I mean, that's the thing, is that the whole thing seems to be very decentralized. So while you can say, I like the Hickman issues that he did, everything else is by somebody else. Well, let's get into the next one, Secret Wars Battle World number one. Did you read this? Yes. Okay. I did not like it. In fact, I could barely barely finish it. Yeah, I liked the first story more than the second one. The MODOK story was like a, like that is an Ed Ed Brisson story. Um, The first one was Josh Williamson. I kind of like the mashupiness of a of a of a Punisher who is, I mean, this is this to me was just like, oh, you're just gonna tell a fun little battle story. It's called Battle World. That's fine. I, the the Modok one did. I was like, okay, yep, yep. I, fl- I ended up flipping through it at the end to be like, okay, yeah, they died. It was a baby. Yeah, I did the same thing. Mo-Doc. I read the Punisher story and I was fine. And then I didn't like I couldn't make it through the Modok one. I was just like I don't. The problem is I really like what Hickman and Ribic are doing, mm-hmm. and it it doesn't it becomes less strong. With each concentric circle away from that circle. Yes. Using the Hickman circle analogies. I did like the art in both of these stories, actually. Right. As it stands. But, uh, yeah, I was, I mean, like, I was like, all right, you know what? When I came out of Secret Wars 2, I was like, let's give some of these a shot. Right. And I was like, oh, okay, that's what we're, okay. I might be content with just reading Secret Wars. It's like DC. I see. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's what it was like. It was like Convergence. 
Or yes, these are I, other things. I might just read the, the main book and not worry about any, any of the tie-ins, which will make these for very short shows every week, since we're not reading in DC right now. So for A-Force number one, which is the much-hyped book before this, this whole event, the all-female team with the, the worst name in comics, I thought this was, like, fine. Did you read this? Uh, no, I did not. It's written by G. Willow Wilson and Marguerite Bennett and drawn by Jorge Molina, and it was fine. It was fine. <laughs> it was a solid read. You've been enjoying G. Willow Wilson's, yes. I'm going to get it wrong, is it Ms. Marvel? Yes. Yeah. And I've read some of it. It's not that bad, but I will say that it's sort of the first thing that she's ever written that I really, that I liked it all. Yes. Um, and okay. so my instinct when I see her name on a thing is been like, nah, it's not for me. Well, I mean, I've tried a bunch. So. And this issue is... They fight a megalodon. That's a, that's okay. That's a that's a big big shark. And that was the best part of the issue. So there's in the Hall of Justice in one of the realms. There's this all female team. It's basically every female Marvel character. Basically, see, this is why I don't understand. I thought these characters were all spread out. They all seem to be in every story. I I don't know. I don't understand it. I I don't. And I maybe it's just one of those things like just do what you want and have fun with it, and that's that's, that's why. That's totally fine too, but. I might just I might just have to disconnect from from the the, the minutia of it and just re- read the ones yeah. I think are interesting. Yeah, I mean that's and that's usually a, a fine. I'll probably read the second one of this because it was fine. I didn't when it when it started tying into the to the Secret War stuff, it got less interesting. But mm-hmm. um, I like America Chavez, I think, for the character from uh, that. Oh character. yeah, yeah. But she's a, she's a big part of the story, and um, the Jorge Molina art's really fantastic. Marvel has Marvel has really actually has stepped up. They've created a lot of interesting female characters, mm-hmm. like a lot of them. I mean, when you, you mentioned they're all sort of younger and the Peter Parker mold, but 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 a lady. Although she was sent off to prison in this issue, so I don't know if she's going to come back. Mm-hmm. Probably she probably will. The Thor's no. took her to prison, <laughs> so it's no different in this world than in the real one. <laughs> yeah, so it's all the the the, 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 the Aryan authority figure showed up and took the took away the Latino girl. Authority. The authority. See, see what I did there, everyone? Yes. Although one of them's a horse, so I don't know what that means. It's Beta Ray Bill. I know that, but I don't know what that means for our metaphor. Oh. Well, is he, is he's he a white colored horse? horse? No. I, I'm uncomfortable with everything that's happening right now. How about you? <laughs> so so the, I thought that this week of Secret Wars was was rough. It's going to make me less uh, less likely to read more of the issues. Yeah. I'll get, I'm going to give it another week. I'm going to try a couple more if, if it's, uh, you know. Yeah. Fits some whiffs. I can totally deal with a short story of uh, of Frank Castle as the Sorcerer Supreme, and I like I like that. I'm, I I will give you that. That was from Josh Williamson, who does Birthright and uh, a bunch of horror books that I don't read because it's called Nailbiter, and that creeps me out. They were kind of like Firestorm, right? I mean, it was sort of like he was in his head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I like. That's always a fun thing. I love the person in the head yelling at the person who's doing. The Deadpool did that for a long time too. We had uh, what's her name, the the agent lady. Right. All right. In his head. Hey out there. If you're looking <laughs> for the perfect geek-themed vacation, look no further than Geek Nation Tours. Geek Nation Tours is proud to announce the return to New York City this fall. Attend the New York Comic Con and explore the city that's the home to the Avengers, Daredevil, Spider-Man, and many more iconic comic book-themed locations over this seven-day tour. They're even going to go to Jane Simon Bomb's Secret Stash comic store and the fictional address of the Fantastic Four. Geek Nation Tours handles all the travel, hotel, and tickets to the con. All you have to do is have a good time. But comics isn't all they have. Geek Nation Tours offers some great tour packages like the Journey to Middle-Earth Tour, Head to New Zealand to the World of Lord of the Rings, the Zombie Apocalypse Training 101, 
Perfect for Halloween of the Walking Dead fan as you travel to Atlanta to see film sets and have hands-on survivalist training and more. And the Galaxy Far Away Tour. You may have missed Star Wars Celebration this year, but now is the time to start planning for next year's celebration. So all these and many more tours can be found at geeknationtours.com. Go there to book your geek tour today. I have to ask you, mm-hmm. what, would, what, would, what would you do? Well, and keeping in mind, they didn't. They, I think Star Wars Celebration is in London next year. Oh, that's interesting. And that'll be a big one, too, obviously. Well, what's interesting is if you missed out on getting a ticket to New York Comic Con, which sold out really fast, you could still do it, I guess, through Geek Nation Tours because they provide the ticket with Compass. So there you go. That's yeah. one way if you missed a ticket. If you are correct that Celebration is in London, I'd probably do that then. I would pee in New Zealand in a second. Well, that was my first reaction until you said that because I feel like if they're in London and they're shooting Star Wars in London, there'll be lots of Star Wars fun stuff going on there. And you have you still you th- you think you still have have it in for you think that there's a convention out there that can win you back? Sure. Okay. I, I mean I can see that. I'm just my I'm just first reaction is the New Zealand Middle, Middle Earth tour because I know people have gone to the Middle Earth uh, you know that whole town and it's they said it's amazing. I feel just like I was in one of those endless documentaries, <laughs> and I don't mean endless in a bad way in this instance. You can call up Richard Taylor and he'll hang out with you. I'm sure Richard Taylor is involved with the tour. I don't take me seriously on that <laughs> sentence. I have his email. We can go have dinner with him. You told, look, did you see? Did everyone just listen to what he just did there? <laughs> did everyone hear that? It's because it's because Richard Taylor details his car on the That's weekends. Right. He's very busy. He's got 15 He's jobs. Quite busy. He works at a, a little taco truck down on Pico. <laughs> so. Uh, this week we had a new number one from Image. I know it's another Joe Casey book called Valhalla. It's meeting. Sorry, I had to Valhalla get Valhalla Mad from Joe Casey and Paul Mayberry, with uh, designed by our old pal Sonia Harris and letters by Russ Wooten. And uh, what did you think of this, Josh? I got it. I know what they were going for. It was kind of funny. Basically, this was like <laughs> it was like as if somebody who really liked '70s Thor Which wanted to do. A Garth Ennis story, uh-huh. because it was, uh, it wasn't Thor, but it was Thor and was, his two. I mean, it's. I know, I know. Right? It was it, right. What I'm saying. So uh, it was Thor and his two god buddies came to New York to go on a bender, and the last time they were there was 40 years ago, and we don't know exactly what happened, but that they saved the world. I wonder but why they didn't do what's Thor. What's it called? The 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 Gluttonalia. The Gluttonalia. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder why they just didn't do Thor because Thor's, you know, Thor's not a Marvel character. Could have done Thor. Yeah, I don't know. Just to be, just to be on the safe He's side. The I glorious guess. Knox. Yeah, Knox is weird. <laughs> you should get a grant. Um. <laughs> he should. He should just demand grants from everyone he sees. So this issue, they just him and Thor, I'm just gonna call him Thor and his buddies. They go on a bar crawl through Manhattan, and it's quite causes quite a stir, as you might imagine. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I enjoyed it, sort of, but, but at a certain point I was like, all right, all right, you can write the dialogue, I get it. I know, because nothing really happens in this issue. Other than it, the, it doesn't. It's it, a lot of writing and reading the dialogue, and if you're really into that, and there's days that I am, but I, I wasn't necessarily today. About halfway through, I was like, okay, where are we going? But What do we know Paul Mayberry from? I recognize the name, but I couldn't place it. The, I'm just of, con- of the Rhode Island Mayberries. Oh, they had the yacht up on, on his fuzzy head. So, ho- hopefully, the next issue we will get something, uh, some sort of plot. Yeah, which we seems to be because they go visit some old man. I'm uh, trying to look up what Paul Mayberry did. And since mean. Knox owes them an explanation, I assume we will also get one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe his explanation will be about a grant. He did Sovereign with Chris Robertson at Image uh, not long ago. 
So this is a, he's a he's a different this is a different Mayberry, not the Rhode Island Mayberries. No, he's apparently not. Yeah. He's 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 not. Um, I tell my yachting buddies next time. I thought I was telling them all about his new comic, but I guess I was wrong. Yeah, that's that's unfortunate. Now Daredevil fifteen point one I did not read because I think the whole point. I, is I know why stupid. you didn't. It's good. It was written by uh, Mark Guggenheim with art by Peter Krause, mm-hmm. as opposed to Peter Krause, uh, who's the actor. Norm. Just want to make sure. Norm. <laughs> He fell down and died. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it wasn't the best finale ever, but it was the best last five minutes of a finale. Sure. Where was I? <laughs> <laughs> what was Daredevil 15.1 about? I assume it wasn't part of the, the story, ongoing story where Daredevil wears that weirdo red suit. He did have the suit on, but the, the, the opening, like the bookends of the, of the issues, so the first few pages and last few pages, um, were by Wade Insomni. And basically, uh, Matt goes in to talk to Foggy and, well, what's his name, his girlfriend, about the book. And he says, well, how did you do in Chapter 4? And, and she goes, well, tell me the story. And so he tells this story about when he was an, uh, uh, a young lawyer um, and he was trying to, trying to reconcile being, being a vigilante and being a lawyer mm-hmm. and how that worked with the law. And so it was a, it was a story about how Daredevil had caught somebody, but then Matt Murdock had to represent that person. Awkward. And, and the idea of vigilantism in the, in the criminal justice system, because there's no witnesses, there's no daredevil turns somebody in like, you know, he, that, that wasn't, you know, the due process of law basically. Right. And it was, it was, it was good. It was interesting. It was, uh, it, it Mark Guggenheim who I feel like I haven't heard from him in a while. Guy used to write for He's uh, been a little busy. He's got like four TV shows. Is he? He's that. He's one of those folk, right? Yeah. He's, one of, he's in the Berlanti camp. Yes. Yeah, but he used to do uh, like SVU and stuff like that. So he can do this law process stuff. Mm-hmm. He wasn't just some guy coming in and, and well, he was faking it, but it was good. It was in the same way. Like it was almost the the law stuff in this was actually better than than um than Wade usually does with it. Because hmm. I really like I really like the the lawyer aspect of, of Matt Murdock and and you know even through the show we didn't actually see all that that much. So it was good. It was nice. Something I read recently, and I don't know what, uh, what it was, mentioned that sort of thing. It was like, uh, okay, just because the vigilante dropped the guy off at the station doesn't mean we can arrest him. Were there any other witnesses? Yeah, no, it's true. So that's interesting. It is. I mean, and it's funny because there's a conversation in this about the idea that, like, and this is supposed to be early. He's in the old suit in this one, like mm-hmm. the, the Battle and Jack with a big D on the front, uh, brown and yellow. And it's sort of they're telling they're sort of acting like it's the beginning of the vigilante thing, you know, like Spider Man is just showing up or whatever. And right. it's true, it's it's this one of those like blinders in comics that we we like age or whatever that we just go, ah, don't not worry about it, you know, like like left leaving somebody all tied up hanging outside of uh, outside of city hall from a lamppost with a post it with a bat on it, like that. Well, that like, what do we do with these people? <laughs> just unless you're a duly deputized member of the law, like Batman was in the 1960s, then you can do whatever the fuck right. you want. And that's how you get around it. I guarantee you that Mark Wade could explain it. <laughs> I guarantee it. Like he's the guy who can say, "Here's here's why it works," and you'd be like, "Yeah, that makes sense. Sure, that's good." All right. I would totally be down with that. It was actually it was pretty good. It was, uh, you, you, yeah. I might check it out. I would. I think it'd be worth it. It was really good looking. See, that's the kind of story that Matthew should, that Wilson colored the whole thing. Should have been in an annual. We had this discussion last week. It was an annual type story, but because it did fit in, like it was current, but they were telling a story. I don't know. It, it, it could have been, but you're right. Yeah. Satellite Sam 14. This is the second time I'm going to mention. I think so. This book is ending with next issue, I think. 
<laughs> I think, right? All the signs point to it. I mean, they fit, they, they solved the problem. They burned the movies. One of the main characters was brutally murdered. And then they at the end, the it guy. says, the end, of the, the end of our broadcast day, next issue. And then it advertises a new book from Howard Shaken. Yeah, and that would be fine. This does not need to go on forever. No, so I think cool. this book has wrapped up. And I've, I do I still quite enjoy it. Yes. But I think this, the story is, is basically wrapped up. Although, I did have one, one storytelling question, which maybe you can clear up for me. So in the beginning, we open up with... Uh, that we, we mentioned last time how the, the main character, who is secretly black, uh, Eugene, was being hung from a lamppost by the KKK in Harlem. So we open with that scene where his girlfriend pulls a gun out and <laughs> just shoots them all. How does he get out of the noose? Yeah, he was just on the ground, wasn't he? In one second, he's hanging there. You see where she's shooting the crack-crack scene, and he's still hanging in the background. Okay, here's how. And then in the next, the next page, he's on the ground. One of the, one of the clan dudes is holding Oh, I see. And so when he's shot, he lets go. I see. That guy is the horse. I thought they, were, I thought they had been tied off. I see. Okay. No, you can't. You can't front Jaken. That's I didn't think so. That's why I wanted to ask you. You can't like Jaken's not gonna let that go. I see. I see where he's dropping the the rope. Okay. It's even there. Like he even like showed the rope go from tight to slack. I see it now. All right. God, this is the most beautiful book. I love this. I love the way this book. There's so much texture to this book. It feels like yeah. Even when I can't tell who anybody is, Mm -hmm. which is by the way, they were like, let's just put the let's just put the guide in the front, which I use, you know, regularly. Oh, I have it constantly flipping back to it. Yep. I thought Hamilton in the gay bathhouse scene was Dr. Ginsburg. Mm-hmm. I was very confused for that scene. I was like, what? what is he doing? Oh, that's not Dr. Ginsburg. Now I get it. In the gay bathhouse scene. Well, it was the gym. <laughs> it was the YMCA. It was the YMCA yeah. in, in Chelsea. Might as well have been a bathhouse. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. It was, it was, you know, it was good. I, I, I've enjoyed it the whole way through. I love the way it looks. None of the things that we originally loved about it, I don't think, stuck around as much. No, we liked, we liked the TV production aspect of it, but that part went away quickly. It has to be. Everything is, everything is coming to a head here. Sometimes literally. Mm-hmm. So, poor Dr. Ginsburg. Mm-hmm. Capped in the side of the head. So, that'll do for the books of the week. <laughs> it's a violent issue is what that was. <laughs> yeah. Just thinking about sort of cataloging it in my head. Yeah. A lot happened. Anyway, you can go to ifanboy.com slash Amazon should you like to uh, support the site. And the way that works is anything that you buy from Amazon, any of the things that, that you normally would, uh, would go to them for, we get a little, little taste of that. We get to wet our beak a little wet bit. doesn't cost you a thing. So it is a, a wonderful way to just, just make that your link to Amazon. And, and everything after that is sunshine and rainbows, particularly if you're ordering things from your corporation. You know, like if they need a whole bunch of we chairs. We need a new whiteboard. I'm trying to get it through our account. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, God. A new whiteboard. That just sounds wonderful. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're expanding to a different room. They didn't have a whiteboard. Now we need one in there. Of course you do. So that's one thing you can do is ifanboy.com slash Amazon. Or if you want to be a little more direct and you, you just feel like uh, throwing some, uh, some cold, hard cash our way. Or warm, soft cash. We don't. We are coins, not. Cold coins, warm yeah. bills, crinkled. You can go to ifanboy.com slash registration where we have set it up for you to easily contribute either for $3 a month or $30 a year or uh, a little secret here. Anything you wish. Anything that your heart desires. If you find that this show does it for you, that it's a thing, uh, then, then and you, you want to give a little something back. Just pennies a day, feed Josh. That's where to do it. 
I tr- I also you know I try to do this with podcasts that I really appreciate. I give to NPR. I give to This American Life directly. I give to Hardcore History. It's 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 part of this new economy of uh, entertainment. And if it fills up a lot of your days, then you know it, do- it doesn't hurt your karma. Is what I'm getting at. Um, so thank you for everybody who did. Somebody uh, came onto Twitter and, and said you know they they became a subscriber this week, and that was really cool. And um, we appreciate everyone that does that. Thank you. Every time we make a what your beak joke, I always have to check the bulbs. To make sure they're all screwed in. <laughs> I don't. I don't get it. It's a Godfather joke. Really? Yeah. I don't remember what Godfather scene that. Part is. two. Oh. When uh, Vito kills the the mob boss because he's been wetting his beak. Right. Okay. Yep. I can picture it. Yep. All right. That's fine. I don't know the dialogue of that one as well. I know the dialogue of one just down cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of subtitles. Audience Say. question time. We got a whole bunch. Let's get one from Andrew B. from, I don't fucking know, Mordor. You didn't put a place you were from, Andrew B., so now we're going to... Everyone's going to get a fake location now. Who doesn't put their place in? <laughs> you went with Mordor. Mordor. Yes, that's... We've done the ad earlier, you see. Right. So Andrew B. from Mordor says, I was really liking Azarello's run of Wonder Woman and was thinking about reading more from him. Do you have any recommendations of his work? And no, I, don't, and no, I haven't read his Joker book. He's a guy who kind of dropped off the map for me as, opposed, as, as in the list of people who I watch. Okay. I suppose so. But there's old work. Uh, no, I know. But even in that, even in that sense, like I mean, I never finished 100 Bullets, but for people who did and went all the way through with it, they were very satisfied with it. Mm-hmm. And I keep thinking about going back and reading it, but 100 issues is a lot of issues. I read like 50 and and dropped off because uh, I kind of lost the thread of what was happening. I feel like I need to look up what he did, and therefore I could tell you. I can you. give you a list of stuff easy. Well, tell me some things. Hunter Bullets is his opus, right? Love it or hate it, that's the one he's most known for. And then there's, there's, as mentioned, there's the Joker OG, and he did, which also uh, is very uh, controversial. But uh, he's done a lot of good stuff. He did that Sergeant Rocks thing we liked, that, that OGN, mm-hmm. Sergeant Rocks doing Hell in a Hard Place. Yeah, that was good. We liked that a lot. Loveless. That Vertigo oh, Western. Western. Yeah, that was, that was pretty good. That Three was, volumes of that, 24 issues. He did a, what was before the New he 52? He did Hellblazer, didn't he? When it was Flashpoint. It was a three-issue Batman. Night of story. Vengeance. That was a good one. That was with the Batman character from Flashpoint. Mm-hmm. That was very good. He did Hellblazer, right? He did Hellblazer. He was actually my first Hellblazer author. He did the, the prison storyline. Right. He, he, which was somewhat Oz-influenced, or it felt like. He did that Banner. That was He did a Hulk. It was like a two-parter to 2002. What do you think about him doing Dark Knight 3? I'm just pretending that's not happening. Okay. It's not, not, in my, not, not happening. Mm-hmm. He did that Batman story Wednesday comics that we liked. Yeah, that was good. His uh, 100 Bullets collaborator. Eduardo Riso. That's right. Who's a wonderful artist. Yeah, that was good too. He's done a lot of good stuff. Spaceman. Remember Spaceman? Yes. I don't know that I can recommend that. I still have the Spaceman collection sitting on my to-read stack. Yeah, so, I mean... It's a lot of stuff. Yeah, but there's not, like, a ton of stuff that I'm like, oh, this is a must-read. Well, so let's give get... him one recommendation. What would it be from you? I mean, if you're going to read anything, I'd, I don't want to say 100 Bullets, but that's the thing that I'd be like, if you're going to read his thing. I would say to read something smaller. Go out and get El Diablo or Loveless. Hmm. If you like what those feel like, he's fairly consistent. If you like one of his things, you're probably going to like most of his things. Or maybe the Joker book, I guess, if you're coming from that sort of perspective. I'm going to recommend the Sergeant Rock OGN. Okay. Between Hell and a Hard Place. We really like that. Okay. I don't even remember. That's good. That's nice work. 100 Bullets is his 
that's his thing, right? That's, that's a big like, commitment. That's his like preacher. I mean, the first trade. If you don't like it, then you don't. That, like you it. know what? Yes, yes. Although the first twelve of that are magnificent. Well, then read the first 12. Josh recommends. I think it's issue number 11, 10 or 11. I think it's 11 is one of the finest single issues that I had read up to that point. So there. There you go. That, you used to rave about it all the time. Yeah, I know. Back in the old days. I was a different reader. People change. Before the dark times. Because we're the dark times. Before the empire. Oh, right. Uh, Jeff B. from Sacramento, California. Nice work, Jeff. Don't get ahead of yourself. I haven't read the question yet. You secretly, you mentioned recently about the... <laughs> Where did I saw the secretly recently, part come from? I turned recently into secretly in my head and said it. Okay. I'm going to start over. He didn't say anything about secrets. You mentioned recently about the never-changing aspect of mainstream comics, e.g. despite solid ideas and good intentions, Spider-Man will always be Peter Parker, etc. Do you think that now that cinematic shared universes for Marvel DC are such a big deal and comics are so tied to their movie counterparts that we'll potentially see an end to this? Meaning, for example, that once Chris Evans ages out of Captain America role or any other Avengers, he'll likely be replaced by someone else instead of the usual rebooting of the franchise, which I feel would affect the comics over a long, long enough term to make these big changes stick. There are a lot of clauses in that. What no. do you think? No. 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 And I'm talking about this from a very, very far back point of view. Like, eventually, this movie thing will come to an end. Also, they're way more valuable as licensed properties. properties. They all the T-shirts and and sheets and video games and mm-hmm. those characters will have to remain iconic. And 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 and, and Steve right. Rogers isn't Chris Evans. He isn't, but he. He will eventually leave the role. They will replace him probably with Bucky. But eventually, this whole thing will get started over again. It just will. They can't do this. They can't do it forever in a continuing line. And comics have, you know, 80 years. Right. They're not going to, you know, you're you're telling me they're never going to do a Batman movie where Ben Affleck doesn't play him and he's not, you know, he's not a younger Batman? They absolutely will, 100%. Comics is comics. I mean, they're going to change and mold and shape and move things around and change things, but the story ain't going to end. Um, and even if it does for a time, even if it's five years or ten years, you, you wait. It will come back around again. It just does that. It, can, it can't help it. Yeah, and they're just, they're just so valuable as commodities in toys and things that they, they're just not, that's not going to happen. Even though yeah. you could argue it doesn't matter who's behind the mask of Spider-Man, it just Peter Parker is a is a commodity as much as Spider-Man is. Yeah, I think that's, what that's I a good think. thing. I don't know that I have anything else to add to that. I think that's 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 the case. Uh, it might feel like that while you're in it, but but the dear reader, it wait might be, yeah, it might happen. I mean, you know, it could be ten years, which can feel like forever when you're in, in the midst of it every week. Mm-hmm. But eventually, it'll all come back around. So there you go. Anthony C. from Brooklyn, New York. After having thought about this for about four or five hours last Sunday, I had to post this question. When I listen to podcasts and the hosts critique a book, I'll often hear, quote, it wasn't what I expected, end quote. Sometimes this is a positive and sometimes this is a negative. But when critiquing a work, shouldn't the book's merits be based solely on the work itself and not what someone brings to it? Or does expectation personalize a criticism, thus making it stronger? Or is it something else entirely? Yes. Yes. There are no correct answers. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the thing. Like, 
I, I, you, you can tell me how you feel about this. Because I think about it a, a lot. <laughs> I can't say normal sentences anymore without doing that. I, I do. I think about this a lot. Whether you hear from people a lot that they want their they want their criticism to be objective. It's impossible. Um, it's mostly impossible. We're not and robots. I th- no, we're not. But I think that you can also. I mean, in, in our in the way that we do this, I think that we actually do. A, I think that we do a good job. I think we do a good idea of, of specifying the things that we liked about something from a, you know, you guys are listening and you know who we are. You know what we like. So from a personal perspective, you can say, I, oh, I relate to the kind of things that Connor likes. And he said why he likes that. And that seems to be for that reason. But at the same time, we both can, can talk about the objective versions of what works for something. Storytelling is good. Coloring is good. Yeah, but that's also, also subjective. Sort of, it, it is mean, to a certain extent, is. but there coloring right, but, is subject is an art like anything else. It's true, subject. but there are there are there you are might standards. Like a style that I might not like, and that's no, it, but that's stylistic. But there's still there are standards of professionalism and standards of quality and standards of of achievement that I think are difficult to pin down on paper, but you know it when you see it. And we have been given enough amateur comics over the years to say, oh, this isn't professional quality yet. I don't know what that I think, is. I think you and I fundamentally disagree on this in general, but I think. That's the difference between professionalism and amateurism, but it, within within that, everything is subjective. Okay, but I think, I mean, I think all this, art is subjective. I, I personally, I mean, this is my personal. Opinion. It totally is. All and art I is subjective. You can't apply any objective measurement to to art. Okay, you can but apply I, measures of professionalism and measures of competence, but which we have to do at at some yeah. point. Sometimes you will get something and be like, "Oh, this this just wasn't good. It wasn't up to snuff. It wasn't you know wasn't high enough quality." And I don't know what that. I don't know how to rate that numerically. But you and I both know it when we see it. Yes. So throwing that out the window, then everything else matters, and and you can say that the that the the critic doesn't shouldn't bring themselves into it, but I don't know how not to. And I think the thing is, I we've both read stuff that been like, yeah, this had problems and plot holes or whatever. I had fun reading it. Yep. And and that is valid. The critic will always bring their life and personal experiences and tastes into, it, even if they don't realize it. It's and just I, it's yeah. impossible not to. And not just the critic, the reader will as well. However, there are you know there there's ways to. Articulate that. There's ways to say it and communicate it that are more useful than others, I think. Now, I guess there's another question here is, is it fair to bring your expectations into something other than just just review based on the merits of what Well, the based is? on the objective-subjective discussion, I don't know that it's possible not to, but it, maybe it's important to clarify that. I think... I, it's really funny because if you watch Twitter, you can watch Comics Pros complaining about reviewers. Mm-hmm. And those reviewers themselves are all up and down the level of, of, you know, professional or amateur or whatever, you know, or whatever standards that we've all made up for ourselves for this thing that we do. Mm-hmm. You know, and some people might be writing the first ever, you know, they've been doing it for six months and they're, they could be working for a major site. That's entirely possible. You know, and they'll say things like, one of the things they always say is like, this story wasn't what I wanted it to be. And right. it's like, well, how can that be valid? I don't know, but it is. In the sense that it's, it is like, this was if that's the reason that you didn't like something then it's valid and yes. communicating that isn't necessarily a mistake as long as you say why yeah i, I feel like as long as you have a reason you know other than this just sucked that to me is not a valid criticism no. why, or, did, it, why it, did it suck? equally this is awesome is a is a shitty review right um why and uh, if this didn't meet my expectations I, why plus context yes of of how you felt that way and i think that that uh, I mean, I think that's what we try to do. We we try to give reasons. I try to, you know, here's what was good about it. Here's what was bad. Here's why this ultimately didn't work. Here's why we don't know if this is the last issue or not. 
Well, I think one of the things that helps is... And that's because we're idiots. One of the things that... Well, that's true. But one of the things that helps is that we don't pay as much attention to the marketing anymore. So we have less expectation for things. But how how can you not have expectation for anything? If you walk into a movie, you look at the poster, that's going to give you an expectation of what you... You just... There's no way unless you're going in completely blind... And someone says, you're going to watch a movie today and puts you in the seat and it starts. There's no way to not have an expectation of what you're going to see. And it could be, and that for me, it's great when your expectations are subverted. And you get, yes. something, you get something great that you didn't expect. But well, that's I, still based on me being expecting something. You're always going to expect something. You can't not. And you can't have that not factor in. I mean, and I think you've seen, you and I have definitely put a lot more into, I don't want to know anything about this right. before I go into it. We try, actually try to clear that slate of expectations as much as possible whenever possible. I don't want to know anything about Star Wars. I, don't want to, I didn't want to know I didn't want to know anything about the Mad Men episodes. Yeah, I started reading the Stevenson book last night not knowing anything. And it's right, that's, that that's another one. And in like, fact, the book before that, I did the same thing. I didn't know yeah. anything about it other than the author and the general subject. But... That author, those creators, those characters, whatever it is, there's your expectations. It's still there. True. So it's totally valid. But maybe the reasons for those expectations may or may not be valid. And I think that that depends on the quality of your critic mm-hmm. and your relationship with them. I think that that's really important now in, in a way that it wasn't before. Like you, you'll find people who are out there sampling things for you and you like their voice. You like how they feel. You like you know, what their deal is. Uh, and, and, and you will relate to that. I don't know, because Connor and I have different tastes, and mm-hmm. I think people come here and probably have preferences for the kinds of books that we like one or the other, but I also think it's healthy that you know, we can go back and forth about but it. But you also up. take that into account, right? So you know yes. Josh likes this kind of story or doesn't like this kind of story, so when, mm-hmm. when you don't enjoy a big superhero event, it's, it may right. not be a bad superhero event just because that's not your taste. That's why I don't do the shows about the animated you know, superhero right. things because it's not my thing. It's, it's, it's our biggest pet peeve. People are like, I can't believe you guys didn't like that. Like, somebody did that with us with Avengers. It's like, we all, we all had different opinions. <laughs> it's right. But I think that's a strength. That's something I really like. Mm-hmm. And and over over the years, Connor and I have become very good uh, at disagreeing with one another. <laughs> very good. Jerk. I am better at disagreeing with him than anybody in the world, and I'm married. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well. well these are smaller issues, to be honest. Well, why don't you take the... the <laughs> They're 20 pages now instead of 22. Hello! <laughs> why don't you take the art question, Josh? Art question. Martin H. <laughs> from, like, I don't know, the Outer Rim Territories? <laughs> it's nothing out there. <laughs> I assume that this is a frequent question in comics, but I'd love enlightenment about how the writer and the visual artist contribute to making a great book. There aren't many writer, artists, or con- cartoonists, as Darwin Cook would call them, and I'd like to have some perspective on on who to fawn over when I finish a co- uh, when I finish a comic book full of feels. Ugh. I mean, <laughs> we're gonna go ahead and protest that that word word. I put quotes around word, by the way. The common advice about how to find good comics is to follow creators you like. I'd like to hear how you parse out the praise between creators. Does Pretty Deadly stand out because of Kelly Sue DeConnick's writing or because of Emma Rios draws beautiful things? Did Brian Azzarello make Wonder Woman stand out of the New 52 or was it Cliff Chang's Monsters and intentionally cheesecake-free drawings? You could brainstorm up better examples to illustrate various contributions or maybe explain what house style is or how editorial restrictions influence the writers and artists. When would you follow a good artist onto a badly written book or vice versa? Good questions. Lots Here's your objective subjective thing here. Yeah. thing here. Totally. Well, there's a certain amount of, I would say, magic, alchemy, mm-hmm. 
a coming together of, of elements that make something good or bad, and you will know it when you see it. Since it's so collaborative, it's hard to know. Yeah. I mean, you can look at the page and see the drawing, but you know, the writer tells some writers, not all of them, tell the most of them tell the artist what to draw. So who's to praise? They're all both to praise. They're both responsible. That's not even that even always that clear cut. Right. That's the thing. You don't know. You don't know how. You don't know if someone's yeah. writing in the Marvel style or someone's writing a f- detailed script or what. Oh, you don't know how much, you know, I've heard stories about, about certain comic books that you've read now where the writer literally almost did nothing. Yeah, the writer, the, the name on the cover actually had nothing to do with what was in the page. Yeah, and, and, and the artists were the ones doing it. You know, that happened. So it's hard to say. You can only go from context clues, really. Can you read a comic whose story you like but whose art you can't stand? Vice versa, can you read a comic whose art you really like but whose story you can't stand? I would say that over the years I have reversed my position on that okay whereas i used to read a lot more stories with art that i found questionable mm-hmm. i can't do that as much anymore especially if the artist isn't competent like i can i can read stuff for the art style i don't love but if the if the storytelling if the craft is competent then i'm kind of okay with it although it's kind of boring i i, I really i like that vice versa i didn't used to read things where i like the artist and not the not the uh, story, mm-hmm. but I've kind of reversed. I will definitely read stuff for the artist. I guess a good example of that recently would be uh, Run, Love, Kill. I don't actually know what's going on, <laughs> but Eric Kennedy's drawing it, and I'm stupid for Eric Kennedy's work. Right. I, I love it. And and so I'm reading that, and I'm sort of following through, and I'm hoping that the story's going to click for me um, based on the strength of, of that art. Right. That really only applies to non-superhero stuff. Superhero stuff, the whole thing's got to be working for me or I lose patience with it. I've never, actually, I don't want to say never, but I've, for as long as I can remember, never really been able to read a comic whose art I can't get into. Because it is ultimately a visual medium. It's, not, mm, a, it's yeah. not a prose book. So I have to like what I'm looking at. If I don't like it, then I can't even enjoy the story. So I have a bigger problem with that. I need to at least connect with the art in some level. I assume there's artists out there, you know, who've done stuff, work for hire, maybe even, you know, creator-owned stuff that weren't necessarily connecting to their story. And, oh, I, sure. I, and I think, you know, they're troopers. They're going to go through. They're going to do the work. But when those two things are working together, you get that magical synergy, that chocolate peanut butter that makes everything wonderful. So that was Martin's last question. But the middle question is about who to praise it. And you said it's, it's difficult. It is difficult. But you can also find instances where... You know, we'll say something like, well, the story or the writing, no, the art was okay, but really compelling characters are a great story. As long as for me the art is okay, I can enjoy the story. Yeah. In that sense, I know who to praise. At least I, I think I know. You who think to you praise. do. Yeah, no, know. And, and that's the thing. And, and, you know, this is taken even further. You know, say that you have a book that is beautifully written and beautifully drawn and the letterer sucks. Right. That's going to ruin that book, you yeah, know. Sure. And then it brings up that question that, that is going on now about uh, credit. You know, whose name do you put on the cover? Who is the creator? Just from a, from a standpoint for us, we can't put the whole team's name in a tweet because right. there isn't room. Just stupid Twitter. We try really hard to, but, you know, at the same time, like, it's, it's not so much fun to be like, you, you know, you want to be able to say this is, uh, this is Alfred Hitchcock's movie. There's something nice about that. It's hard to be like, and here are all the other producers. Everyone wants the auteur. It's easier to, mm-hmm. to label things. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't know. It's a sticky question, I think, and I don't I don't like it because, you, you know, you've got somebody like like Jordi Belair, and she's like, you know, the colors should be, and they totally should be, but practically it's. And if you're talking about alchemy, you know, we all, we we often said a lot that for Wonder Woman, 
it was a little less magical when Chang wasn't drawing it. That doesn't mean Absolutely. it wasn't a good book. I still enjoyed it, but mm-hmm. there was less of a spark. So that means Chang's contribution is just as important as Azarella's contribution to my eyes. It's like guacamole. Mm. There's a magic that happens when you mix salt, lime, chili pepper, and avocado. And a little bit of cilantro. Well, unless your wife doesn't like cilantro, and then you learn to do without it. (laughs) The point being... I have cilantro growing on my balcony. You take any... you 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 got to kill that. Uh, I don't know why. (laughs) Don't worry. (laughs) The weather's done it for me. You take any of those things out, it's going to feel a little more bland. It's the combination of all those things, and comic books really do work like that. Mm -hmm. And, And also, the other thing is, I think that the more... It's like music. Like The more excited the creative people on a book are, the better that book is going to be. You're just going to feel it. Like we've always, we'll say a thing like, oh, it feels like they're having fun with this, doesn't it? Like, which is impossible to nail down, but I, you know, that's a real thing. That exists. And you can, you can sense it when you're reading a book. Like, oh, this is totally fun. This is, you know, this is something that they're all into. And like any collaborative effort, it has to, every piece has to work. Like, I'm really excited for Hateful Eight, but if you mm-hmm. swapped Walton Goggins out and put me in the role, it's the same script, same director, it's gonna suck. I would go see that. Sure. <laughs> to see me God, fail on awful. the big screen, but no, you did a good job. It was interesting. <laughs> interesting choices you made. <laughs> did you see Top Five, the Chris Rock movie? It's sitting on my counter. I'm gonna watch it this weekend. There's this bit where um, he's saying that you don't want to say something mean to somebody about their movie, and he's like, "You need to say that was good," or if you don't want to say it's good, you say it was interesting. And then later they show a billboard of a movie, and it just says the quote on it is interesting. <laughs> that was really funny. <laughs> So yeah, so there's it's just in a collaborative art, you know, it's not like it's one guy painting a painting or one guy draw, drawing or writing a novel. It's everyone's contributing, and you take one person out, it could all fall apart. You don't know who that lodestone is in the in the team. And I think the one thing's good about sort of what we were talking about. At least I feel like the community has definitely shifted to not look at just the writer and the penciler. They can sort of go a little bit, a little bit, a little, not it's, a ton, and maybe not a, but at least the conversation is happening. But, yeah, but. It's still a writer's medium right now. Yeah, yeah. In terms of who gets the, who often gets the most credit. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's hard to be an artist. True. It's really hard. It's physically hard on you. Then there's Darwin Cook. <laughs> Before whom we bow down. Thank you, Martin and Anthony and Jeff and Andrew for writing in. They wrote to contactlifefanboy.com to get on the show. You can also call our voicemail line at 888-FANBOYS-326-2697. And that's how you get involved in the conversation. These are all interesting emails with good conversation points. Yeah. So thank you all. We are bloviating at an extreme level lately. <laughs> so Two jamokes bloviate. That's the follow-up show we're going to do. Nothing to plug on this end, but I am making an appearance on the Star Wars Minute next week, talking about Minute 104 in Return of the Jedi. And, oh. uh, so you can all when, oh. that, when that comes out, I will. Uh, that's fine. I will. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they they completed their iFanboy set, as they said. They've got us nice. all in plastic now. Yeah, I appeared on a Star Wars Minute Weekend Edition for their Patreon subscribers uh, last week. Well, aren't you special? Saturday, more of a general. I'm not saying it was better than what Connor did. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying that. Sure. But I I just thought about it. I was like, I guess I should. They invited me on the show. So if you're a Star Wars fan. Uh, it's a fun podcast where each each day they uh, pick apart one minute in the movie, and uh, I got a good minute. Yeah, you did. You got a dead Ewok, didn't you? I got a dead Ewok. I got Lando. I got the Emperor. Wow. I got Mon Calamari. Who doesn't like that movie? It just for nothing. That third act is magic. Yes, I defend, <laughs> I defended both the movie and and the Ewoks in the in the show. The the iFanboys are are Pro-Ewok. united 
on on the Ewok question. Also, I took it to a dark place. Well, you're you. <laughs> I took the show down a road they were not expecting. So we'll you can if you, <laughs> we can listen to that next. Long week. time listeners of that show know that you've got a long way to go before you make you take it to the worst place. No, I didn't I'll say the worst place. That to you I just some said other it was time. a dark place. Hitler may have come up in the in the discussion. Yeah, it's about a totalitarian government. Mm-hmm. It's fine. I also may have accused Adam Rackbar of being racist. What? <laughs> so check that out. Star Wars Minute next week. And then uh, nothing, else to, nothing else to plug, do we? No. Okay. No, that's fine. Head over to ifanboy.com, comment on this show, talk about this week's books. You can find all of our other podcasts there, Avenger shows there. Follow us at ifanboy.com. Uh, sorry, follow us at facebook.com slash ifanboy and at ifanboy on Twitter. That's where you can find out what the pick of the week is before we announce it on the show. And follow us individually at J.A. Finnegan at C.S. Kilpatrick. Hey, if you like the show, the vibe, the scene, all that stuff, you can write a review or whatever. Or don't we don't care? You know, it's, it's whatever you feel like doing. I'm working on my Jimi Hendrix. Oh wow, yeah, I'm getting it. You can write a review on iTunes, or you know, just tell anybody, man. Whatever, whatever makes you feel cool. If you think this is cool, then you can do that too. I don't, I don't see things in terms of ratings. Our whole world is going to be five stars. Like everything will be five stars. That'll just be our universal language. How is it? Three stars. Just we'll just talk to each other <laughs> like that. It'll be, it'll be the whole world. I give you a reading two stars. I'm not even trying to be about all that, though. You know, you know, it's just not how I feel. <laughs> wow, I bet your wife loves that. <laughs> she loves all of them. You know, all the great impressions. <laughs> Oof, that is know, a terrible movie about Jimi Hendrix with it, a very good impersonation of Jimi Hendrix in it. It's uh, risky to drive her to the edge of madness when you're living alone in the woods. Again, <laughs> okay, I live in a perfectly normal suburban. They will river. find your body weeks later. It will be riddled with ticks. <laughs> That is it for this week's show. Thank you for listening. I am Connor. I'm Josh. <laughs> Did you hear the brief pause? Like, you're going to do anything? No, I'm just going to say my name. That's fine. Sometimes it's good to do that. Keep people on their toes. Yeah, I know. It's fine. Bye. Bye.